Welcome to the third interview of Laravel Podcast Season 3. We're going to be talking to JT Grimes, who has been around the Laravel community and is one of the funniest people in Laravel, but you might not know much about her. Stay tuned. We're going to get started. It's the next episode. This is the third interview of Laravel Podcast um, Season 3. And so the first one was Taylor Otwell. So Taylor, everyone knows Taylor. He created Laravel. And, and the second one was introducing Neo, who a lot of people don't know, but within his world, he's extremely well-known. And so within the Laravel Nigeria world, everyone knows who Neo is. And it was, it was kind of a fun little world for, way, way for them to kind of kind of join into maybe, I don't know if the American or whatever space. But this, is, this, this, this next interview is very interesting. And I very intentionally not told anybody who I'm talking to, which is tough because I, what I wanted to do was go out on Twitter and say, hey, who has questions for this person? But I decided intentionally to wait because I think that this is going to be such a such a treat for someone who is everywhere, but nobody knows anything about her. So the, the interview today is with JT Grimes, and I actually need to pull up your Twitter profile because one of the things about your Twitter profile is that, is it is it a South Park character? Like nobody yeah. even, like nobody, almost everybody who's interacted with you doesn't even know what you look like. So... Uh, the Golden State, we got some Cal going on there. There's South Park, but you're you're one of those folks like you and Amanda Folsom. Like nobody, unless you've been to a, a Laracon conference and had the pleasure of interacting with JT, you don't actually know. And I guess like a Sunshine Peach or something, like, you don't actually know what JT looks like. But are you wearing the hat right now? I'm wearing a hat. You're, are you wearing a Cal hat? I'm wearing a Cal hat. <laughs> Is it safe to assume you're always wearing a Cal hat? Sometimes it's a Raiders hat, okay, but fair there's. Enough. My hair wants to do this alfalfa thing all the time. <laughs> and it's either be seen in public like that or wear a hat. Got so it. always the hat. I like it. Um, so, so JT, can you tell, say hi to the people and tell them who are you in whatever length you want to say and where do you work and what do you do and what brings you exposure to the Laravel community? I was frankly a little surprised that you wanted to talk to me because I don't see myself as being one of the She's Everywhere community members. I work for a little insurance company in San Francisco. I've been in the same job for 21 years. Wow. Well, the same company. Uh Yeah, longer than some of your listeners have been alive. (laughs) It's true. I never wanted to be a programmer. I was very clear that that was not going to be the direction my life was going in. My, My mother is a programmer. And so I spent all of my teenage years saying, I'm not going to be like her. Right, right. Um, Went to school with a degree in statistics, got a job as an actuary or an actuary trainee. And every job I had, they kept trying to make me a programmer. (laughs) And I kept saying, no, no, this isn't the universe. And yeah. And finally, I just had to give in. So, okay. So when you... Actually, you know, I, I need to pause and do one thing. I, I, I said I was going to do this at the beginning, and I totally failed. I'm looking at you, and I'm seeing a microphone sitting in front of your face, and that microphone arrived because Twilio, the people at Twilio.com, are amazing human beings, and they have sponsored us getting good recording equipment to anybody who doesn't have it. So I want to say, Twilio, if you need text messages or voicemails or anything like that programmatically, Twilio are the bomb. They're friggin' amazing people. Greg Bogas is the man. So is Ricky. Um, and they, they sent that stuff over. Okay, Thank you, Twilio. We love you. You're great. Okay, now back to my question. Um, when they got you Can in. I throw, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me throw in a quick shout out to Twilio. They've just added fax capability. What? And when you, 
Yeah, when you work in insurance and you're an old economy kind of company, you are still sending faxes. Got it. So, so you actually love, you, you're using them on a regular then. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Go Twilio. All right, so so they finally convince you. You were an actuary. You were doing the very, very exciting. Is that like, I mean, is it Excel? Are you using Excel as an actuary or is there like more complicated stuff? I know that there are companies who use more complicated stuff. I've always been an Excel user. Um, but it's being a data yeah. monkey, it's yeah. tons of data coming in, a little bit of analysis going out. And so, so, and I'll ask you more in a sec. I know that you're doing programming there, but originally when you were first doing that before they convinced you to go to programming, was it basically Excel and access and spreadsheets and numbers like that? Yeah. Okay. So Adam, Adam Weathen often, I forget his exact term, but he basically says like, what we're doing is all basically just like Excel. He may say it in the inverse, anything you can do in programming, you can do in Excel or something like that. But I mean, it seems like a pretty reasonable transition to me. And and I got to say, there's not a lot of people who are, I don't, I don't want to say anything about generations, but there's not a lot of people who are at least in my generation whose parents are programmers because it's not been a thing. So what kind of programming was your, was your mom doing? She started doing Fortran for a for a local uh, oil company in the late 60s, um, switched to COBOL and was at Bank of America and a couple of other banks okay. for 40 years. Wow. Okay. So so that's how she got in. So when they finally convinced you to be a programmer, what was what was the task or what was the language? Or t- tell me more about that first time. So there were a lot of Excel macros. There was a lot of this isn't really programming, but I'll just write a program to do this. <laughs> Got it. Uh, there was the first thing I used in a professional capacity was Delphi 1. Okay. Delphi was Visual Pascal, the one language Microsoft has never given us a visual version of. Wait it, a minute. Can I pause you? I, I know that Visual Basic is the thing. I know that there's visuals. I don't actually know what a visual version of a language is. Can you tell me what that means? Generally, when Microsoft uses it, it means that it is designed to build uh, native apps on Windows. Got it. So Visual Basic gives you the tools to make your Windows forms and all of your screens. Right, but using a programming language. So Visual means this programming language is meant to build native user interface elements versus whatever else. Right. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted. You were talking about Pascal no and Delphi and a whole bunch of words that I don't understand. So I got to like parse through <laughs> one by one. Uh, Pascal is a C-like language, but very verbose. Instead of brackets, you have begin and end. Oh, yeah. And everything is words instead of symbols. But you've still got pointers. You can still do all the things you can do in C. Okay. Uh, there was a little bit of visual basic. There was a little bit of Perl, as little as I could manage. I figured out real quick that if Perl was what it took to be a programmer in this new, exciting internet age, it was not it. for me. So, so yeah. how are you learning at this point? What was you know what resources were you using to learn these languages? So with Delphi, it was books. There may have been a CompuServe forum. Yes, I'm old enough to have used CompuServe forums. <laughs> But we actually had printed pieces of paper, and we would pile them up on our desks, and sometimes we'd use them to lift monitors up as well. <laughs> I assume you, you're referencing books when you talk about printed pieces of paper. 
I think that's what they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah books. Now, am I allowed to ask? I'm not. I'm not asking anything about age, but just at this moment when you were learning to code and you were at at a totally non determined age, uh, what what time period was that? Because it's CompuServe, so this is this is early '90s or. It would have been the mid-90s. Okay, mid-90s. All right. Right. I mean, I've said I've been at my current job for 21 years. So I'm, hey, I'm not. Oh, okay. That, okay, so that part makes a little more sense. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. All right, so you were pre-internet teaching yourself to code. But, I mean, a lot of people's stories, Neo's stories and Taylor's story and my story, we're talking about teaching ourselves to code by viewing source on websites, right? A lot of us didn't get into anything until we got into PHP, and that's how we got into, like, you know, whatever. So you're teaching yourself, A, pre-internet, and B, you're teaching yourself like some some I don't know what the term is. It's not hard code, but like this is legitimate programming stuff. And you're just kind of hacking it through as you went. I mean, did those books really help you, or is it a little little more just kind of trial and error? There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of let me try and build a program that does this and learn just enough to do it, which it. is how, how I think learns, everyone right? has learned for the last thirty years. Yeah, there were. Just like always, there were a couple of authors and a couple of imprints mm -hmm. that were very reliable. This was before O'Reilly had different animals on the covers of everything. Got it. I'm not sure they were even a thing. Do you remember anybody who really kind of stood out as a as a helpful resource then? Marco Cantu okay. was the guy's name who wrote the best Delphi books. And I can't believe I just pulled that name out of my head. <laughs> that is a brain cell that could have done something useful, but instead... It prepared for Marco this moment Cantu. right now. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, okay. So that was, we're talking about mid-90s. So you learned all those languages, but that's not what you're writing today. So what was the next step? Well, actually, I don't know. I mean, what I assume that because we, you know, I met you at Laracon and because, you know, you kind of basically joke and, and joke on the whole Laravel community a little bit at a time that you're writing in at least some PHP, some web-based stuff today, but there's got to be some things that happened between that, that moment 20 years ago and where you are today. So what, what kind of transitions did you go through? I mean, you're staying at the same job, so they weren't job transitions, or at least they weren't company transitions. What was next after you started learning? They were, so I work for an insurance company, and one of the things you have to do is rate different kinds of policies. And we have algorithms that are built to do the rating. Okay, it's a frame building with this kind of roof and this much square footage. And, oh, you know, you're running a music studio, so there are kids in there all the time, so your liability charge goes way up. Hmm. And so somebody has to get all those algorithms into the system. So it's not really programming in a language, but it's building algorithms and it's functionally programming. Uh, the system we've got to do this in is really cool. I would love to show it off sometime, but it is in COBOL. Wow. The back end at my insurance company is COBOL. We've got four or five COBOL programmers who are great, who are some of the best programmers I've worked with, which always surprises people. You're saying, you're saying is, not was. You're talking about today. I'm talking about today. Wow. The, the system we're on went live in... I want to say 1990 or 91, and has been in continuous operation since then. There's active development going on along with maintenance. Most of the system has been rewritten in those 25 years. Right. But, yeah, we're running the same thing, have been running the same thing. Wow. In COBOL, 25 years, 
It's solid. That's amazing. So, okay, so I've got so many other things to ask you, but I got I got to pause you. <laughs> You're talking about a system running longer than almost anybody listening has. I mean, some of them have not even been in the live that long, but but that that silliness aside, I would say there's a very 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 tiny percentage of people who've been programming as long as that system has been running. So, you know what things were are fads now, right? You know that the, right. the limitations of Laravel, and I want to keep getting back to your story in a minute, but I got to stop you there. What could you point to, if anything, where you say, you know what, that is something that I can learn from this, you know, 30, nearly 30 year running code base that we could kind of benefit from today? Like, what are some of the things that have helped it be so stable? Is it because of COBOL? Is it because they're great programmers? Are there any things, to, systems or structures or practices or attitudes that you could share with us? So the tooling that's in place is terrible. It's <laughs> awful. Okay. We don't have source control. Wow. We don't have a staging server. There's dev, which works as test, and then there's production because we're running on a mainframe and you can't exactly get a mainframe at everyone's desk. Oh my gosh. There is no virtual machine that emulates an IBM, I think Power I is what they're currently calling the product, but basically one of IBM's mainframes. Right. So, so much of the tooling and the system that's in place is awful. And the only reason that I can think of that we're still running and I need to knock wood because if I drink <laughs> it, someone will kill me right. is that we've had really exceptional people. Hmm. Uh, but beyond that, I was looking at our system and I thought, you know, here's a great conference talk if I were not painfully shy and unable to speak in front of people. And we, as a financial services kind of thing, need to be able to roll back transactions, do things out of order, keep track, uh, rebuild a policy from scratch. You know, this is really cool, and I don't know anyone who's doing this in yeah. PHP. And just as I was thinking that, um, oh, I can't remember what you call it now, CQRS. Uh, uh, yeah, the event sourcing and the command query responsibility separation, all that stuff. Event sourcing became yeah. the new hotness. And essentially what this is, is event sourcing that we've been doing in COBOL for 30 years. Huh. Um, so the database design has been super solid. If I were going to give people one piece of advice that goes against everything you hear now, get your database design down first. Huh. It is the most important part of your system. Whatever you're selling, whatever you're making... 90% of it, if you're using Laravel, probably 98% of the products you're making are CRUD apps. Yeah. You are reading data and you are writing data. And if the database isn't right, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Hmm. That's really helpful. Um, and I, I'm going to dig down there a little further. I think that's a, that's a great advice from you. I would say if you've got these really kind of pro programmers that you're working around every single day, um, you know, getting the database right, I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing. Is there, I would say like there's, there's people who've taught me various things. Like I can look to one person who taught me about simplicity and I can look to another person who taught me about, you know, denormalizing databases, various things that they taught me. Um, when you think about the people in your team who you're so impressed with, are there any specific things where even if they're not shareable, you can say, you know what, like by working with this person, they really made me better at this or at that. I can't think of a specific thing that they've made me better at, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that working with them has made me better. Um, I've gotten a lot better at communicating because we don't, once we are 
on our machines, we don't speak the same language at all. We have variables and we have loops and we have, we're accessing the same data, but we have very different terminology for it. And so being able to bridge that has been a really useful skill. So what, um, what, where are your various code bases talking together? Is there shared databases that they're interacting with or how are they actually connecting to each other? So the, the main system, the source of all truth is the COBOL, the I-series, the DB2 database that's running on there. So the AS400 or the I-series is IBM's current marketing term for it. And when you've been using the same thing for 30 years, you call it by its 30-year-old name, it right. happens, uh, is the source of truth. We have web apps on other servers, uh, public-facing servers that talk to it through essentially a homemade API. Okay. PHP is one of the only modern languages that runs smoothly on IBM setup, and that's because they've done a pow- uh, partnership with Zend. Zend actually makes an interpreter specifically for running on IBM's mainframes. That's fascinating. I had no idea. ZendCon is coming up. If you're going, check out the i the series. They'll usually have a day of sessions huh. that are specifically about running PHP on IBM hardware. It's a very different group from who you find in the other sessions. They tend to be in those same sessions together the whole time because your company is paying for you to go learn this one thing that you cannot learn anywhere Anywhere else. else. That's fascinating because there's just a small subset of people who are actually doing that extremely vital kind of PHP on IBM kind of thing then, right? I think so, but it's one of those invisible communities. There are a lot of them out there, but... Mm people who aren't doing cutting edge stuff, who aren't at startups are probably the bigger part of the PHP community. The folks working for the government, for a bank, for anywhere else that's boring. Yeah. Well, it's so it's interesting because I hear you say that and I go, yeah, well, I I know those people are out there. But again, I met you at Laracon. And the first thing that doesn't come to my mind is people who are working on web applic- or applications that have been running for 30 years, who you talk about the boring stuff. Um, even ZenCon. I mean, ZenCon, you know, like I went to ZenCon a year or two ago, and one of the reasons was because they were really trying to reach out to the non-Zend world, right? Because, like, I think even just not even talking about, you know, PHP on IBM people, I'm just talking about Zend in general, it tends to be relatively disconnected from, like, the Laravel of the world. And so, so you're talking even a further thing within the... Zend world. There's this even much smaller subset of people who are the Zend and IPM. So this is like a really, I don't want to say it's a niche because I don't know how small it is, but how on earth, uh, you know what? I've got so many questions. I was about to ask how on earth, but I'm (laughs) jumping ahead of myself. Let's step back a second. So are there any big transitions in the work you were doing between when you first got started, when you first were doing all that kind of work, um, when you were learning COBOL and you were learning the visual stuff, Pascal and all that, um, and what you're doing today, because obviously today you're doing at least some web, you're doing some PHP. What was that transition like? How did it take from you to go from there to here? So I'm going to correct two things. Okay. One, I don't do COBOL. Okay, I, sorry, I was mixing up all my old language terms. That's, I understand. I actually advocate for people to learn COBOL. All the COBOL programmers want to retire and there's no one to fill in for them. Wow. And you would be surprised at how many 
financial institutions, other big companies are still running COBOL. And they're doing it for the same reason that my company is, which is twofold. One, it's incredibly expensive to rewrite everything you've got. And two, once it's been in production for 10, 20, 30 years, it's effectively been tested every way possible. Yeah. The risk of going to something new, if you're, I think Visa is still using COBOL, right? If you are the largest payment processor in the world, the risk of rolling out a new system is mind boggling. Yeah. Right. You'd rather use a 30 year old system and keep paying for those old mainframes and then paying enough money, obviously, for IBM to keep producing them and for Zen to keep doing those integrations. Like that's. That's pretty incredible because when you say COBOL, like I hear people say, for, yeah, I learned about Fortran and COBOL. And I'm like, yeah, 30 years ago. I don't think about today. The, the jobs are out there. The need wow. is out there because – and there's, it's not just maintenance. Some companies are still doing new development. Huh. Mostly it's maintenance. But, but we're not talking the, maintenance at the level of like, oh, just fix this thing a little bit until we replace it. We're talking about long-term maintenance as long as they can keep running on the system kind of maintenance. Well, one of the diff- really big differences about being an enterprise, and I'm making air quotes when I say that, developer, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to somebody who's working for a startup or an agency, is that your time horizons are drastically different. Huh. We are not looking for, you know, something that will keep us going until we get profitable. Right. We have been profitable for 150 years off and on. Right. So when we talk, the other thing, when we talk about rewriting the system is, okay, this is going to be a five to 10 year process. What technology stack would you want to build on Hmm. that will still be useful, available, not archaic in 10 years. Hmm. Five years ago, I would have said Java. Thank goodness we didn't do that. Yeah. But with things changing as quickly as they are, it makes it really hard to plan for the long term and much easier to stand pat. It's really interesting. I th- one of the things that we've talked about often and like the Laravel podcast is that there's often conflicts between the Laravel world and various people who have, you know, a very, very distinctly different mindset just within the PHP community. And I think one of the helpful things that we came to over time is, you know, we're noticing that the differences often are less about people who have different opinions about the way the world should work because they are different people. And it's more because they're in different contexts, right? Like I can look at event sourcing for a startup and you can look at event sourcing for a financial institution and we can come to a different conclusion about whether or not event sourcing is a wise decision for the products we're working on. And if we don't recognize that it's because we're in different contexts, we could say, well, you, you like it and it's wasting time. And uh, well, you don't like it cause you don't, you know, it's like, Oh no, we just have different needs. But again, in that, those conversations, first of all, it's helpful to recognize that. But second of all, we're usually still only talking about web applications built by PHP developers in frameworks written in the last five years. And so, like, this is so many steps beyond that that it's just fascinating to me uh, how far out it is. So, uh, before I step to my next thing, you 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 watch all of this happen on Twitter. You you are involved in your lobbying. I mean, you and Yaz are two of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life, especially on the way you guys interact on Twitter. Um, do you look at? The online conversations of the Laravel crew. Do you look at the Laravel podcast? Do you look at stuff that happens 
Do you have anything to share with us? Do you have any outside perspective where you say, you know what, you know, don't worry about this or focus more on this or man, y'all could learn this or anything like that? I see a lot of people who I think are talking past each other because of what you just said, the different contexts. If you're doing Greenfield, totally new development, you're going to have a very different set of goals than somebody who's got a system that's been in production for, you know, it's PHP, so a couple of years, Yeah. which in PHP sounds like a long time. Right. You're looking at different things. You have a different really different experience in terms of maintenance. You know, what's the one a question I've taken to asking in interviews is what's the oldest code base you've worked on? Huh. What's the longest you've had to maintain yeah. a, a section of code? And if you can find somebody who's got a couple of years in, you know, grab them. They actually yeah. have experience doing maintenance. Huh. But the other thing is you know, I I am older than a lot of the Laravel community. I have been in the same job for 20 years. So my perceptions of other people are going to be colored by that. But it looks to me like, you know, the kids today, and I take credit for bringing the phrase, get off my lawn to the <laughs> Laravel community. But you kids today switch jobs every 18 months, every two years. There isn't that I've been working on the same code base for long enough to have really absorbed it and taken it all in. And the ownership, not just the ownership, the experience with it that you get after working at the same place in the same code for a long time Hmm. is very different from what you get when you're changing often. So... That's that's really really interesting. And if I um, if I were someone who is you know a mid level developer, and I maybe been at my job for the last eighteen months, do you have one piece of advice just in this little kind of con- concept that you're talking about in terms of experience with the code base? Is there one good way I could act on what you just shared with me? It's really hard for me to give career advice to anyone else. Fair. That's I. It's been a long time since I looked for a job. You know, I only know what I'm looking for, not what other hiring managers are looking for. Well, let's, let's tell- say maybe not even about switching jobs. Would would you say, because one of the things that I kind of took away from what you just said was uh, maybe consider sticking around a little longer. But I don't know if you're actually saying that. Are you? I don't know if I'm saying that either. Okay. I... For me, a lot of the job satisfaction and I think a lot of the skill that I bring is having really deep business knowledge, knowing all of the contexts. I have worked in insurance longer than I've been a programmer. I know this stuff often better than the users who are giving specs to us. So having that really good context for everything it sort of it lets me know I'm building the thing the user needs, not the thing the user asked for. Yeah. And I wonder how much people get of that when they're changing jobs often. I think that there is a different kind of job satisfaction you can get from staying with a project for a long time. That's really, really cool. That's really helpful to hear. Um, I, I found that I start saying this a lot in the podcast, but I could talk about this for an hour, but let's <laughs> let's move on to something else. So, okay. So 
I was wrong about COBOL. You're not writing COBOL, but that that was a, a fascinating way we just went down. But um, when did you start doing web-based stuff, and what what does web-based applications look like? Is it facing the customers of the insurance agency and giving them access to data that they previously would have called in for, or what kind of stuff do you build there? So there's both internal applications and external facing ones. And what we do is we access either the database or we actually run COBOL programs calling them from PHP. Wow. Which is, you know, I know I'm not the only person doing this because somebody else built tools to do it. Right. But it feels like the nichiest thing that there is out there. And it's one of those things where there are there's just a very small community of people who you can ask questions of and who know about this stuff. Yeah. And on the one hand, when you run into trouble, you know who the people are to talk to. Right. On the other hand, when you run into trouble, you may literally be the first person to have this. Yeah. So, so you're not going to Stack Overflow. How do you even know the folks to talk to about this? I met one of them at Gen Con where he was presenting on the IBM I stuff. And... The single thing, probably the most valuable thing I've ever gotten out of a conference was having breakfast with this guy. Huh. I've still got three pages of notes from that. <laughs> uh, Alan Seiden is his name. And if anyone else is doing Laravel on the IBM I series, A, yeah. hit me up, but B, hit up Alan for anything about the I series. Huh. Um, all right, so you're not just doing web applications. You're actually using Laravel. So how on earth, when you're in the, this kind of enterprise, kind of old school system, how'd you, how'd you stumble across Laravel and what attracted you to it versus the other options available to you? I had used CodeIgniter before, and CodeIgniter, the single best thing about it was that if you had a question, you could find an answer, mm-hmm. either in the docs or in the forums. But somebody knew what needed doing if you had a problem. I also used once or twice a framework called QCODO, which has since died a very quiet death. <laughs> but the guy who wrote it was a Delphi developer before he got into PHP. Okay. And so the way everything was set up was very familiar to me. Right. You you built your web forms in a very sort of Microsoft-y Visual Studio kind of way where you said, okay, put in a select box here right. and put a label on it here. And it was familiar to me, but it was also not, the documentation wasn't great and development had clearly slowed down on it by yeah. the time I needed something for the last project. So I was fiddling with Code Igniter and it it didn't feel good anymore the way it had when I had started with it. So I started browsing around what other frameworks are out there. Oh, this guy's trying this new thing called Laravel, and it's on version 3. So, you know, it stuck around for at least three months. Give it a try. Right. And it took a surprisingly long time for Laravel to click for me because I was so used to other frameworks and other ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. But once it did, I found it was just easy to get the stuff that I needed done, aside from reading the database on in DB2 <laughs> right, on the IBM right. mainframe. Um, but even that we've got licked now. We're actually using Laravel's uh, query builder, 
with a couple of little custom things thrown in to access the database. So, so wait a minute. Is it the query builder and it's hitting like the, the actual database connection system or are you using something? Are you like layering the query builder on top of a non-database syncing system? Like how, how does that actually even work? So Laravel's query builder wants to connect through PDO. Right. And while in theory you can use PDO to talk to a DB2 system, I've never gotten that to work. Got it. But PHP has built in, thanks to Zend and IBM and their thing, DB2 functions, the same as the old MySQL functions uh -huh. that nobody should be using anymore. Right. But what I did was I made a basically a connection class that simulated being PDO, but uh -huh. was actually calling all the DB2 functions That's underneath. Fascinating. So you end up being able to use Laravel's query builder. You can use Eloquent. In theory, I haven't actually tried gonna, that. that but there's no question. reason you couldn't. The only reason I don't use Eloquent on the mainframe is that the tool we use to generate COBOL has some very interesting opinions and conventions around it. Got it. And none of the file names or table names are useful or readable, so they all have to be translated to something else anyhow. Got it. Yeah. So at that point, trying to force kind of eloquent has opinions and that tool has mm -hmm. opinions and reconciling the opinions just doesn't really seem worth it when you could just use the exactly. query builder. That's cool. Okay, so you're building applications. So so your day-to-day -day transitioning between a 30-year stable system um, it, you know, on a, on a mainframe to, you know, one of the most modern PHP frameworks that there is with just testing and TDD and migrations and seeding and stuff like that. Uh, do you feel the, the burden of a lot of context switching or is it all kind of connect together in your brain? Most of it connects together in my brain. The places where I run into problems are where I just don't have the tooling that I want. Okay. Um, I don't have access to multiple IBM i-series. I can't just spin up a new right. database, spin up a new instance. You know, I want to test my interaction with the program. I need to be very careful to make sure that I am not hitting production data. And yeah. it's, with my setup, way easier than it should be. Right. So I spend way too much of my time building safeguards yep. for... No, no, you don't mean that. And that's interesting because we talk often about how a lot of the things that have to do with type hinting and a lot of these other things are, you know, well, I don't trust develop the other developers, right? You know, like you're, you're the stranglehold that you're not allowing developers to do things because you don't trust them. And it's interesting because what you're talking about is really, well, I don't trust myself to not accidentally touch something that would basically lose me and a lot of other people their jobs if I completely destroyed everything. Uh, what sort of things are you finding yourself reaching for for those safeguards? Are they, you know, like, what is, is it easy to kind of kind of share some of those? I find myself hard coding addresses to our test system. Right. It's like, if you want to hit production on this, it's not just changing an environment variable. It's not just telling it, oh, we're in staging now. Go ahead and hit the staging server. Everything is hard-coded to the wrong server huh. until it's time to move it to the right one. Um, That's fascinating. It makes sense, totally, though. Until you know the thing is not going to break things, make it like you have to be very explicit and intentional to actually even touch the thing that you know that you don't want broken. Yeah. 
you know, we have a lock on the door to the server room for a reason. Right, this right. is my server room lock. Yeah, right. we have a server room. We have physical hardware. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, all right. So, so in terms of testing, um, do you do much of your Laravel code? And if you do, what does it look like to simulate the data that's coming back? Or are you using real data from the staging server? How, how does that kind of work in your testing? I jumped on the testing bandwagon a couple of years ago. It has not been that long. It's been longer than for some people. Right. Um, everybody kind of has this one moment where it clicks in for them. For me, there's a guy named, and I'm going to screw up his name, Juan Treminio. Okay. And he wrote a couple of articles on using PHP unit, and then he got bored and started going off and doing puppet things. and <laughs> All that's really cool, too. But these three or four articles he wrote are what absolutely clicked for me. And, you know, thank you if you're listening. But it was what got me to slowly start, <coughs> excuse me, slowly start writing more tests. Huh. And once I did that, I found that I was much more confident pushing new code and making new changes because I could tell if I'd broken yep. something. And if I broke something and I didn't know, then I just wrote a test for it. And now the next time I know. Yep. So the value became clear. You know, as soon as I thought I was ready to put the code in production and then said, oh, I just need to change one little thing and everything blew up. Yep. Oh, thank goodness I have these tests. Yeah. Yeah. The first time a test catches you and you, you're not, you haven't yet internalized the value that is coming from it. It's like a. I don't know. It's like a breath. I don't even know what it is. It's not a breath of fresh air, but something. It's this amazing it's moment. It's magic. Where you go, yeah, it's it's exactly what it feels like. You're like, I never had this. This the responsibility for this thing not breaking always lived in my brain and my shoulders and my stress. And all of a sudden, this just magical little creature just came and told me with a little red X, you just screwed it up. Is is a really an amazing experience? Finding out that I broke stuff before it hit production was the best thing ever. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Okay. Um, so once again, I'm going to talk to you about this for another hour. I'm going to move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've got a couple random questions. We could talk a little bit more about code and architecture infrastructure, but I want to make sure that we have time to talk about uh, JT stuff. So um, you are a shaver of un ungulates. I assume that, that that is somehow refers to dogs, but I intentionally didn't Google it beforehand. What is an ungulate? Un how do you say it? Ungulates are uh, four-legged hoofed mammals. It's a reference to shaving yaks. Oh, I was going to say hoofed. No, okay, you're a yak shaver. That was an incredibly indirect developer joke. Way to go. <laughs> All right, yak shaving. Got it. Yak shaving and bike shedding. Do you, do you bike? I do not. Okay. I feel so alone. Because <laughs> you live in the Bay Area and you, do not, you don't bike at all? Well, and I'm part of the PHP community. Uh, yeah. Bike it all. Are you a uh, Are you Oakland for life? I am a third generation Oaklander. Wow, that's amazing. I know very little bit about Oakland. Um, I, you know, basically my knowledge is I. What was that show that was set? I think it was set in Oakland, wasn't it? Um, uh, was it Sons of Anarchy? No, was it, here? it was. Nope. 
It was some, anyway, whatever it was, it was set in some beautiful Bay Area that seemed very rustic, but honestly, it was probably a multi-million dollar house. And, you know, uh, so mm-hmm. I visited Oakland a tiny little bit, and I understand the concept of it being kind of like the the less quickly gentrifying kind of across the Bay cousin of San Francisco. Uh, what do you love and hate most about Oakland? What I hate most is that it's gentrifying much more quickly. Yeah. It's, you don't run into that many people from Oakland who are, in Oakland, who are from Oakland. Really? That quickly? Yeah. Huh. The houses here, the the prices have shot from reasonable to insane. Huh. Um, there's a lot for sale in my neighborhood, and it's people who've lived in the neighborhood for a long time who just can't afford not huh. to sell because it's so much money. That's... Right. It's not even the property taxes. It's just when you look at your finances and selling your house could basically pay off your debt or whatever else. You can't afford to stay there anymore. Well, I've told my boss a couple of times and they really don't like hearing it. I could sell my house and retire. Wow. I can move to Reno and find a crummy little apartment for 400 bucks a month and never work a day again in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And go ahead. To me, that's just insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, you know, like, you know, we all understand why it's gentrifying. It's across, it's across the way from San Francisco. You've you got the gentrifying wedge of, you know, hipsters and artists wanting to come into the kind of rundown place or whatever. But additionally, it's relatively close access. And the more it gentrifies, the more people feel comfortable stepping in there. But Oakland has more going for it just than being across the way from San Francisco. What do you love the most about Oakland? It's home. Yeah. The weather is great. The people are neat. Um, I was going off on a rant and I can do a half hour on how great the (laughs) Bay Area is anytime you need that. Yeah. But one thing is that it's a port city Mm -hmm. and port cities have so much more interaction with the rest of the world, Mm. you know, and have since they were founded. You know, in the 1850s, there were days when San Francisco had more Russian fur traders in it than actual San Franciscans. Wow. Because... Folks would hit the port and go to town. Yeah. So you end up with communities that are really tolerant of differences, who are just used to, you're not like me, but that's fine. Mm. Um, and that is just a wonderful thing if you are like me. Right. Let's talk about like you. If someone had never met you before, how would you describe yourself? And I know this is something you usually start off with, but what, who, what are you about? I'm smart and I'm funny and I like cute things. I could attest to all of these things having known you for several years. <laughs> you, why are you so funny? Is that is it? Uh, do you ever like do comedy or anything like that? Is your family really funny? Does that come from any source other than just your personality? Oh no, it's uh, you know deep internalized pain. <laughs> Fair. You'll never it. find any. Yeah. You'll never find anyone who's funny who's not just suffering inside. That was one of the most. Tr- the most truest ones that, that is so incredibly true is that is that so is that something you've just discovered or is that something people talk about that I, you know, is that is that a commonly known thing i think it's a commonly known thing if you pay attention to it, it. most comics are fairly upfront mm-hmm. about that this doesn't come from a place of knock knock jokes right right knock knock jokes are just fun right you can't make a living with those. You make a living exposing yourself to people with your pain, huh. g- 
giving them something that they can relate to from their own lives because nobody's life is easy it would be yeah. great if they were but everybody's got something yeah that was really deep thanks. i'm sorry no thanks. it won't happen again <laughs> thanks for sharing that no no we'll talk about puppies yeah oh shaver and onion. okay that, that was actually next on my list tell me about puppies tell me about your puppies tell me about puppies Puppies are awesome. Puppies are everything that is good in the world. As a teenager, I decided that we could have world peace if we could just make leaders of nations negotiate treaties in a room full of Labrador puppies. And I still believe this is true. I love it. How it's many... really, good. you know, it's really hard to plan to bomb someone or to screw them in a trade deal when there's a cute little fluffy Labrador trying to nibble on your ear. It's just not going to happen. All right. How many dogs do you have? I just have the one. Oh, just one. He, I figured there's like five running around all the time. No, he's a grumpy old man who would will not share. Yeah, yeah. He would not put up with anybody else infringing his territory. No. That's awesome. Um we have a we have a company uh, wide. It's not quite a stand up because it's 30, 30 minutes long. But every Monday, everybody gets together and talks about what you do this weekend and what are you up to. And we found over time that eventually there was there was more cats um, and also dogs, but cats than than you know than non cats around the way. And, and it ended up being renamed to Cat Meetup. Uh, and there's not always a lot of cats up on it, but people new people join the company. They go, why why is it Cat Meetup? Just 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 enjoy the. Enjoy the weird, enjoy the fluffy. You know, we just had an interview with someone about a week ago, and she was super apologetic. She's like, I'm so sorry. My cat may end up walking directly in front of the camera as we're talking, which eventually did end up happening. I was like, no, it just means you're going you're gonna to fit right in around here. Exactly. You know, we ask as part of the interview process what pets you have, and if you say none... I mean that's that's not good for getting a call back. That's awesome. Okay, so so let's talk about interview process. What is your favorite interview question to ask people? What one thing do you absolutely hate about PHP Laravel? Cobol? Yeah. Yeah. I I love that question. It's one of my favorite questions cuz everyone can talk about the good things, right? It's it's mm -hmm. it's it's when you actually have had real life experience with it that you can start talking about the things that really bother you. Yeah, that gives you a really good idea of how deep their knowledge is. Yeah. If, you know, if they're interviewing for a PHP job and they've never really written production code, there are things that they just haven't been burned by yet. And they will. Right. You know, but if if your biggest hang up about PHP is variable order or function naming, right. you know, I'm with you that that's annoying, but that's a first year complaint. Yep. Totally true. I totally believe you. Um, are there any signs on a tech interview that are an instant no? Just an instant stop, no way, not going to happen. I mean, I'm sure there's some personally, if you know somebody's saying some horribly you know, racist things or whatever, but are there any kind of coding or communication style things or anything like that where you just go, when you see that, that's a definite no? I have a very direct communication style, which I think will not surprise anyone who's followed me on Twitter. <laughs> I think the only thing that would surprise them is that I've gone this long without cursing. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretty impressed. Uh-huh. Sometimes I spend time around kids. I actually can turn it off. Right. Uh, I really value that kind of direct communication style. And if I feel like I'm not getting that back, if I feel like someone is sort of coming at things in a roundabout way i might take it as a lack of confidence in an interview and i might try and draw them out and see if i can get them to be more direct 
But if it seems like this is really their communication style all the time, I know that that's really, really hard for me to work with. Are y'all remote or are you in person? We are in person. Okay. I've, um, I've noticed that indirect communication is even harder when you're remote. But I mean, in general, just being able to communicate in a certain way is totally necessary for every environment. So I hear you on that for sure. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? If you go on a date with someone and they're a bad kisser, end it then because they're not going to get better at anything else. <laughs> All right. And you can cut that too if you need to. No, are you kidding, man? This this see see Laravel Podcast season three is about the people, not the code. So whatever else you got, just keep it coming. What's your favorite beverage to drink? Diet Seven Up. I like my water sweet and sparkly. <laughs> Diet. Wait a minute. Diet Seven Up, not Seven. So is it is it diet because of you're concerned about sugar intake, or do you prefer the the taster? It started as sugar intake you know with as much soda as i drink if it was sugared i could not fit out my house right but i've gotten so used to the diet soda taste that now when i do drink a real soda it just tastes too sweet and weird and why is my tongue tingling with this (laughs) oh it's supposed to oh dear right got it okay uh so we're running short on time and i feel like there's a whole like the whole personality person of jt jt what do you do in your free time Not as much as I would like. Um, See, this is going to set you up for the next podcast with me. Brilliant. I am suffering from burnout really bad right now. I suffer from depression. You know, it can be really hard to just get off the couch during my downtime. Yeah. Um, When I can exercise, walk the dog, just hang out outside, get some sun, read. But right now... Not enough in my free time. Yeah. Um, I I hope that I'm not centering myself by saying this, but burnout, depression, and anxiety are all a part of my story as well. So thank you for sharing it because I know that it's not always easy to share. Um, Having kind of been in that place, especially, you know, is is burnout, I assume you mean kind of work-related burnout? Yeah. Yeah. Have you found... One of the things that I've noticed often is that sleep, rest, being outdoors, people, animals, these kind of foundational things are often like a really big part of the things that help people like to start to kind of breathe again. Um, mm-hmm. Have you found that there's things outside of those that are also really helpful? Or is it really just kind of like centering in on the the simplest, you know, beautifulest things and just kind of really kind of staying in those same places is, is what's most helpful? I had a shrink tell me once that there are three things that are protective against depression, and I've found that they're the three things that help the most. Family and connectedness, family, friends, people. Um, Pleasure, doing things that you actually enjoy. And feelings of accomplishment. Hmm. And that one doesn't seem to be on most people's list. Yeah. But... When you're depressed and it feels like nothing goes right, just small little steps forward, just being able to look at something and go, hey, I did that. You know, I I got the dishes put away. Yes. Yay. Me. Yeah. Is something you can build on and start working with. Hmm. Um, I know 
uh, and I don't want to read into your story mine, but I, I want to see if this goes anywhere for you. For me, one of the hardest parts about chemical depression and depression versus just being sad is that it's not that there's a thing that happens and you go, oh, I'm sad about that thing. You know, people often hear depression, they think sadness about bad things. Um, but it's a lot more kind of, it's more complicated. It's less directly tied to circumstances and events. And it is a lot harder to reconcile or rectify than just being sad is. Um, is that an experience you have? And if so, is there anything that you feel like people should understand about that circumstance or that experience or people who are suffering from that that you want people to be more aware of? I think that depression is a really unfortunate name for this problem. I feel like it is an energy disorder. Hmm. Like when I am depressed, for me, it comes out as just having almost no energy to do anything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the other thing is, for me, depression doesn't take the form particularly of sadness so much as kind of a flattening of mood. Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. sad, but it's really hard for me to get happy. Yep. And I think that, you know, I know everyone experiences depression differently. If people listening are going, well, that's not what it is at all. You know, you're right. Your thing is your thing and your thing yeah. is real. But I also feel like those are pretty common ways to experience depression. And if you're dealing with someone who struggles with depression, trying to cheer them up and make them not sad mm -hmm. does not address the they have no energy or their mood is flat. Yeah. So what is it, uh, and I, uh, acknowledging that everyone's experience of depression is different, what does it look like for someone to be a good friend to JT? Um when she's experiencing these things? For me, the biggest thing is understanding and helping me to manage my energy level. Hmm. So I will try and schedule things early in the week because yeah. I know that I recharge over the weekend and then as the week goes on, my energy level drops and drops and drops and drops. Yeah. If you invite me to something on a Friday or a Saturday, there's no chance I'm going to do it. I might agree to do it. Right. There's no chance it's going to happen. Right. So first I need you to not hold against me that I'm bailing out because I can't do it. Yeah. But I need you to understand what I can and can't do and not push too hard for the things I can't do. Yeah. And sometimes push a little bit for the things that maybe I can. Yeah. Which sounds like at the foundational core of this, it is appreciating you not just for the presence you bring or the the comedy you bring to a situation but for the person you are but also knowing you deeply and well enough to know those i don't want to say idiosyncrasies but the the ways that you uniquely experience this the, the difficulties and the places you should and should not be pushed right like everyone just like you said everyone doesn't experience it the same which means the whole monday versus friday thing is probably not the case for somebody else so someone can't just say well i heard this on a podcast once and so therefore you know my sister with depression or my brother with depression or something like that i'm now going to treat them this way like no you you know the person deeply and you know in their words and their experiences what that looks like so I love you saying that, but now now that brings me to the next question. That requires you to have a level of self awareness that self awareness and willingness to describe it. Now, first of all, to the friends around you, but right now to tens of thousands of people. What what does it look like to get to the place where you're comfortable? You're self aware enough, and you're comfortable with sharing it. 
Well, first, I didn't know tens of thousands of people were going to be listening. So <laughs> now, just if you could erase just everything, erase that everything, would be yeah. great. Yeah. For me, I I don't want to go off on too big a tangent here, but we're going to go off on a bit of one. Let's do it. Um, I am gay. I prefer that term to lesbian because lesbian sounds like a diagnosis and gay sounds fun. <laughs> I love it. But I came out in the Bay Area in the early 90s mm-hmm. and had a really easy time of it, relatively speaking. I didn't lose family. I didn't lose friends. I didn't lose my job. Everybody was either okay with it or not great with it, but not going to say anything. Right. Which in the early 90s, that's a was win, right? an amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I was able to do that is because other people had done the hard work first. Other people had come out and had lost their jobs and had lost their families. By the time I came along, everybody I knew, everybody living in the Bay Area already knew gay people. I was not some demon freak evil sent from, you know, yeah. it was just, yeah. oh, another gay person. Right. Okay. So... For me, knowing that, knowing other people coming out and talking about their experience made it easier for me, makes me feel not necessarily obliged, but it lets me know the value of talking about it when we come to my depression. Yeah. Right? I can do the heavy lifting for someone else. I can be out about these are the things I struggle with. This is how I deal with it. Um. Morley Safer, I think it was Morley Safer, man, I'm old, uh, was one of the hosts on 60 Minutes. And I remember him saying, you know, essentially coming out and saying he was on Paxil and being at home watching it going, hey, that's the same thing I'm on. I could be on 60 Minutes. Right. Being able to see other people who share the same experience as you and seeing that it is not necessarily that debilitating seeing that there's hope that there's hope is the biggest thing yeah is huge yeah well for those listening you could be a guest or a host on the Laravel podcast with depression <laughs> it, it is possible um thanks jt that's that's really is really helpful to hear that and so i'm going to dig a little further and this is again one of those spaces where you just you know you got your safe word um the PHP community, if you compare it against, for example, the Ruby community or the JavaScript or CSS communities, is a little bit more monocultural. It's a little bit more old school. Um, you know, especially, you know, like the SAS community and the Ruby communities are extremely intentionally and thoughtfully and loudly progressive. I wouldn't use those terms to describe the PHP community. And not to say that, you know, we're in a repressive, horrible place. Um, do you have any reflections um, about or thoughts about or experiences you want to share or warnings or encouragements for the PHP community in particular and also Laravel um, about ways that um, I, don't, I don't want to prescribe anything else. So do you have anything to share or say? I come from a place of privilege, not just as a white person, but as a person who owns my own home mm-hmm. and has valuable skills that people will pay for. It puts me in a really good place to tell not just my employers, but really anyone else where they can shove any opinion (laughs) that they have about me. Right. And that's really freeing. And it makes me kind of not care if the PHP community is less 
you know, is more conservative maybe than I might like than it would be if I ran the world, mm -hmm. right? If I ran the world, we would all be happy little liberals running around. And, but it's not my world. Very sad. <laughs> but, you know, I come from a place where if somebody doesn't agree with me, if somebody doesn't like me, if somebody's opinions are different from mine, I'm happy to talk to them for a while, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care that you don't agree. I don't care that you don't like me. I have a dog. My dog likes me. <laughs> dog, That's enough. Your dog loves you. Your dog doesn't My dog like does you. love me. Yeah. Cool. Now that makes sense. It's, you know, I can't change the community except by being a part of it and being me publicly, reasonably publicly. You know, I can, I can tell you that there are gay Laravel developers. I know this because I am one. I can tell you that there are women Laravel developers. I know this because I am one. I can't speak to things that I'm not. Sure. But I would tell people that there are enough of us who will welcome you, whatever you bring. I love that. And what I appreciate about that is because I know you well enough to know that when you say whatever you bring, you don't mean whatever non-white, non-male, non-liberal you know, liberal thing you bring. You mean whatever you bring. And I think yeah. that, that one of the things I love about that is what I want to hear from people is you can be just as conservative as you want as long as you're welcoming people. You can just be just as liberal as you want as just as, as long as you're welcoming people. And um, I, I don't want to go too far down this road, but one of the things that I've noticed is that some communities go, I think, so far in the intentionally progressive direction that they're unwelcoming to conservatives. And and that's a, that's a frustrating thing as well, because if we're in a place where someone who may have a different viewpoint um, is not welcome, um, who's not mistreating people, right? They're not, they're not treating people poorly because of their viewpoint. They're just having a different viewpoint. Then it doesn't matter which direction the difference is coming from. You're still making people not welcome. And so that statement you said at the end there, whatever you have to bring, whoever you are, you're welcome here. I think that that is, that is a really, I mean, I'm, I know I'm making a small thing sound like a big thing, but in some ways it is a big thing, right? That's a beautiful message. So, all right. We are pretty late on the call. Uh, I'm trying to look through, I had a couple questions that I queued up. Let me see if I got anything else. Um, is there anything you want to talk about? Anything you wish we had covered? Anything you want to share? Anything you want to plug? Hyenas are really cool. And I can do 20 minutes on how awesome hyenas are. I feel like you need a podcast. Possibly. I, I would listen to it. Can you, can you give me like the 30 second version of why hyenas are really cool? Hyenas are a matriarchy. They are a pack hunter. Most of the time in the nature specials where you see the lion sitting with his kill and the hyenas skulking around, the hyenas killed it and the lion has bullied them away and taken their food. Hyenas poop white because they crunch up the bones of their prey. And get all and the marrow as, out. Yeah, and as those bones come out, you get white poo. Now, is go. that exciting Hyenas. because because they're so smart that they're getting the marrow out? Or is it literally just because they have white poo? Is that mainly the, the excitement there? It's because they can crunch up the bones oh, yeah, of their ballad. prey. Yeah, that's true. Okay. See, my my entire exposure to hyenas has been Lion King. I got I to be honest. So, 
Uh, and you have two young kids, so you know Lion King backwards and forwards and upside down. So the funny thing there is actually my kids are well, – my, my daughter's too young for that stuff. My son is extremely emotionally sensitive, and so movies where bad things happen, he really doesn't like. So, I mean, imagine Disney movies. What Disney movie doesn't start out with some family member dying? So Lion King, it took us really long. He still hasn't seen – what's the one with the big old giant inflated white guy? The, the – um, I want to call him big BB-8. something. Yeah, big hero, big hero six. six. It's a brilliant movie, but I can't let my see it because my son see it yet because somebody dies at the beginning. So Lion King, he's seen all of once, but now that he's seen it, which was very recently, now you're right. I will hear it ten thousand times. So anyway, um, JT, I I keep saying this to people. I could talk for hours. You should talk for hours. You should get that podcast. I will listen to it. I'll plug it to everybody. But until then, thank you so much. Okay, so if people want to follow you on Twitter, it's JT underscore G-R-I-M-E-S, JT Grimes. Uh, just look for Cal everything and uh, the little cartoon character. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Matt. It's been a blast. <laughs> <laughs>